Welcome to the Autism and Neurodiversity Podcast. We're here to bring you helpful information from leading experts and give you effective tools and support. I'm Jason Grigla, a licensed counselor and founder of Techie for Life, a specialized mentoring program for neurodiverse young adults. And I'm Debbie Grigla, a certified life coach. And maybe most importantly, we're also parents to our own atypical young adults. Hello, and welcome to the Autism and Neurodiversity Podcast. I am Jason Griglet. I'm going to be speaking today about something I'm actually very passionate about, something that has been crystallizing in my brain for the last couple of years. And I wanted to share with you some insights and perspectives that I think are helpful for anyone working with um, those who are neurodiverse, neurodivergent. And just as a side note, I think neurodivergent is becoming the most common term, even even over autism, although many of those who are diagnosed with autism are still wanting to identify um, as an autistic or an autist. But I think autistic is winning out over autist um, at this point as well. Those are just a couple of cultural trends that I think are good to mention. I want to talk today about how the classical interventions with those who have different brains are not effective and have been utilized well and the the ability to stand on those interventions and the research and the understanding the ability to utilize those and see how they work and they don't work has given us the ability to see i think a more effective and current perspective that i'm going to share with you today so once again I'm a therapist and I love counseling and I'm a parent and I used medications um, and I, I love these approaches, but I want to talk to you about how they may not be the most effective tools or at least not the goal intervention the, um, because they're not as exact and they're not as sustainable as what the real intervention and treatment needs to be. So that's what I want to share today. And, and I want to kind of go back and explain that the, the more obviously neurodivergent someone is to the point of severe disability, for example, what some would call um, a level three autistic, um, which many in the autism community don't like those numbers either. Um, I, I can't have a podcast where I can't describe somehow what I'm talking about, but when someone is clearly autistic, we tend to have lower expectations for their ability and less emotional reaction when they don't conform. Um, we're more patient. In some ways, it's easier to have relationships and internal expectations as parents, therapists, teachers. If we have realistic expectations, it's easier than someone who we may not see their neurodiversity and therefore assume that they shouldn't be having these issues or that they should be able to do certain things. And so a lot of what I'm talking about today has to do with that, that group of those who are neurodiverse that are a little bit in no man's land. They're not typical enough to be able to manage and um, work through the world the way it stands, um, but they're also just different enough and have enough um, learning disabilities, emotional differences, um, rigidity, lack of insight, those types of things that they really struggle. And those physiological issues that are developmental disorders as classified by the DSM 
um, they are not classified as mental health disorders. Nonverbal learning disorder, um, autism, developmental disorder, NOS, and possibly a few others like OCD and ADHD for sure is, is one. Uh, there's some discussion and argument about whether or not bipolar. Many people who are depressed want to be considered neurodiverse because clearly my brain isn't producing the chemicals. This isn't a discussion about that today, but I, I just want to mention that neurodiversity means a, um, a physiological difference that is not curable and not largely changeable and um, able to be eliminated, whereas someone who's depressed can completely be um, undepressed at some point. Many aren't, but that doesn't mean depression is a neurodevelopmental disorder. So when someone who is classically Asperger's, high-functioning autist, for example, has severe depression and anxiety because they're the square peg in the round hole in our world, and they're trying to manage it, um, it has been so easy to apply typical interventions as opposed to um, atypical interventions or developmental interventions. And the most common three that I want to talk about are one, counseling, two, medications, and three, behavioral interventions like occupational therapy and ABA. So I want to talk about those and the pros and cons of each one. And I I have come to believe that although those are good resources and there's a place for those, I'm not saying don't do it, I don't believe those are the right interventions. I think developmental interventions, developmental mentoring, partnering with someone to develop is the goal. And those other three can help support this main goal, uh, but there's pros and cons to each one. Let's start with counseling. The problem with counseling is it requires insight. To have insight, your frontal lobe has to be in place and it has to be functioning well. And for your frontal lobe to be at, at peace, balanced, and learning and able to be utilized, we can't be in crises. And those who are neurodiverse are often um, high anxiety, high crises. Even if they don't appear like they're in crises, they are constantly thinking about everything is a lot of times they can't shut down sounds smells thoughts sights they're overly sensitive to things going on around them they're highly conscious of those um, who are succeeding around them developmentally and hitting milestones that they aren't and so they have what we call comparison fatigue um, or they're constantly in relational conflict with those around them because they either can't or won't do the things that the typical world expects of them, especially in families where parents are trying to get their child to be, to be developmentally um, equal to their peers. So counseling only works if someone's at, um, at functioning intellectual level, which means they're balanced and at peace, um, um, or at least calm enough to be able to stop and breathe and think and have insight. And insight may not be the most, um, you know, the strongest quality that uh, neurodiverse brains have. They have a lot of great functions and they might have a lot of great insight if they're not in crises, but oftentimes they have a hard time thinking about next week, next month, next year, last week, last month or last year and the things they should have learned as far as life lessons. 
So insight therapy requires parts of the brain that traditionally, and not for everyone, obviously I'm, I'm generalizing, traditionally insight has not been effective. And so those who do therapy and have worked with a lot of families of those who are neurodiverse, therapists understand that when you have, for example, um, a 12-year-old, you might end up doing more counseling with the parents to help manage a 12-year-old's OCD or a 12-year-old's depression um, or acting out behaviors because the parents can actually change and address the environmental situation and also the immediate reaction um, situation for a child who's struggling with mental health issues um, or any issue for that matter. So counseling is good if they need, um, if they need help understanding how to manage the environment, how to talk with a person when they're in crises. Um, but insight with the actual individual is limited. That doesn't mean counseling with 12-year-olds can't be helpful or doesn't work. Um, but I have found that the environment is way more important than talking with me as a therapist on Wednesdays at two o'clock to help fix their life. I really need to help the, the mentors in their lives um, change the environment to create um, a successful living situation. So therapy in and of itself is somewhat effective in the right situations, but usually more effective, not for the individual unless they have insight. And also counselors who work with those who are neurodiverse, they tend to be more directive instead of insight focus, which would mean um, therapies like, uh, let's say, what do they call it? They call it motivational interviewing. Um, they call it, um, well, there's a few of them out there that are more directive focused, where you're coaching more than doing insight. And life coaches actually would probably be uh, an appropriate intervention for someone who has the ability to take the educational information and the coaching and then go and apply it. You see the, the problem there immediately is even in a coaching scenario where you're helping them understand what to do and why to do it, taking that and implementing it with their anxieties, their social um, inabilities, the things they struggle with is really not helpful. It It is really critical for those who have neurodiverse minds or who are neurodivergent to have a coach mentor walking next to them through the practicing, through the developmental experiences, as opposed to, I'm going to coach you how to do it, and then you go do it and come back and tell me how it goes. Um, that hasn't been enough, typically. So counseling is what it is. And I wouldn't ever tell someone not to get counseling unless, and here's the danger, unless the counseling creates a scenario where someone who is neurodivergent cannot follow through on the coaching assignments or things that they know would make them happy or meet their needs better. And if the counseling is supposed to be the cure, but the person can't take the insight or the information and apply it, then you have now set them up for another failure, another insecurity, another inadequacy, another proof that I am inadequate and that I suck. And so, yeah, therapy can be um, a problem if it's, if it, supports and reinforces negative beliefs about about the self. So I want to move to meds. Medications can be lifesavers. I know that my wife and I chose to do medications for our boys when they were not capable of managing their emotions, their focus, their energy. And I really do believe that they were helpful and that they saved us as a family so that I didn't either strangle 
um, my wife, because we would fight about how to um, intervene and make the best of the kids that we loved, or maybe strangle the kids. And I'm, I'm speaking facetiously. I, I was never um, homicidal, but I, I needed the medication to help calm them down and slow them down. And it was largely to meet my needs, but also to meet their needs so that maybe they could actually keep friends instead of being so impulsive that they would always destroy friendships and opportunities they had to meet their social emotional needs. And so medications did help slow their brains. It helped them be a little more calm, lower their anxiety, lower their impulsivity. Uh, the classic one is, is ADHD. Um, and a lot of people say ADHD meds um, are important because it helps them with focus. And I want to debunk that for a minute. We know that people with neurodiversity can focus. They can, they can focus obsessively. So ADHD meds are not helpful in the problem of focusing because focus isn't the issue. They can focus. It's just that with neurodiverse issues, it is almost always a developmental issue where they have delayed interests and they don't have the same understanding of how important um, developmentally appropriate or, or typical timeline appropriate some behaviors are. So if they don't understand why they need to learn to write a paragraph, good luck trying to teach them how to have an opening sentence and, and a subject sentence and another subject supporting sentence and then a closing sentence. If they don't see the need for that, they're not going to focus on it and they're not going to learn it. And so that's a developmental issue, not a focus issue. If I don't understand why I need to brush my teeth, good luck trying to teach them to brush their teeth. How many times have we tried to teach our children a skill and they wouldn't or couldn't focus? Well, so we're going to medicate them with some type of ADHD medication. And that doesn't fix it because it's not a focus issue. It's a values issue. It's it's a lack of knowing how important something is issue. It's their value system is not developed to the point that we as a society might think that they should be developed to. So then there's the shame and the anger and the frustration and the conflict. And um, we're trying to get them to do things that they're supposed to do. And that's very performative, which is a waste of our time and energy. Um, at least focusing on it that way is we do need them to learn to brush their teeth. We do need to have them learn how to wipe their bottoms so that they can function. We, we need them to learn when it's okay to swear and not swear without just, you know, forcing them to not swear because I, I don't think I've been able to force anyone to do much for long anyway. So what we need from them is to want to do good behaviors. Um, so medications, yes, they can help slow your brain down a little bit, give you a little bit of space between impulse and reaction or action. Um, maybe it slows them down enough, and I think it has help in those in those areas. But you can't medicate for depression if someone's needs aren't met. If every day their environment teaches them that they're not enough and that they're alone and that they keep screwing up and shooting themselves in the foot, then medications for depression is not going to help that. Developmental skills and development in general, maturity and practice and experience is going to help that. Um, which brings me to skills. And the, the last area that I want to talk about that has been problematic, especially is ABA. ABA therapy is a very procedural um, punishment reward 
training system to teach skills. And the skills they want to teach are great. They're also skills that they should know. They're skills that will help them function in life and be able to um, be professionals, be able to survive in a home. Um, basic hygiene, communication skills, functioning skills, organization skills. The problem with even occupational therapy to some extent, even though I think OT is healthier um, and doesn't have the same blowback, especially in the autism community, the problem with behavioral skills-based approaches is that it doesn't create a sustainable environment because developmentally, neurodiverse brains are, are typically behind and they're delayed. And so if they don't value the skills that you're teaching them, the skill might be forced and coerced and they might know how to do it, but it doesn't affirm or reassure that they will do it. Just because they can do something doesn't mean that they will do it. And so there's, there's a huge blowback in the autism community right now against ABA because ABA has the appearance, and often I think it's accurate that um, ABA wants to norm or normalize someone who's neurodiverse. And the whole the whole sentiment from the autistic world, and, and I understand it, um, is quit trying to make me typical. I don't need to be like you to have a life worth living and to live my best life. Now, there are some skills that will highly hinder someone's ability to get their needs met. For example, hygiene, smelly, um, independence is really actually important. Being able to, to um, provide for yourself financially, you need the skills to be able to get a job. So I'm not against learning the skills. As a matter of fact, in our own school at Techie for Life, we often persuade, invite, and even nudge when I think they are close enough to wanting it that if I can get them to go through the motion of the behavior, they might choose to want to do it at that point. Um, for example, when one young man scared to death of getting a job, claimed he didn't want the paycheck, claimed he didn't care about um, being independent, wanted to just live at our school forever and, and live off of his parents' money. I could see otherwise, and I really believed that he would want a job. And so we worked really hard, and we used systematic annoyance to get him to look at a few jobs and apply to jobs because we think that's what he needed developmentally, not because he should get a job to earn his own money because he's 21. It has never been about shoulds and ought tos and need tos. It more, it much more has to do with what does he need, not need to. And what he needs is evidence that he's enough and confidence to succeed. And we believed he was ready, having watched him for four or five months, to get a job and have his own paycheck. And once he went and applied at the first job. The anxiety was so high that he failed miserably. He came back. He was going to quit. I, I convinced him to try again. And that even if he didn't get a job, I wasn't interested in him getting the job. I was interested in him practicing interviewing for the job that someday he might actually want. And then he was willing to do it. He got the job and he started working because he realized, oh my gosh, I got the job. I can't believe I'm wanted. Somebody wants me to work. I want to work. I want a paycheck. And the look on his face when he got his first paycheck and he went out and bought some things that he wanted with his own money that nobody could tell him no, he will never stop valuing 
earning his own money. That was the developmental skill that I wanted him to have is he valued having independence to make his own choices. It wasn't a performative goal of he has to get a job because he has to pay for his own stuff. I wanted the quality and the attribute, the development, the maturity. Um, so when ABA and occupational therapy OT are utilized, they need to be utilized alongside or parallel with what the child is naturally wanting or close to wanting or wanting but not able to express that they want it. Otherwise, it's a waste of time and energy and it becomes force. It becomes external motivation. It, it becomes, I, the parent, want you to do what I want you to do. And ultimately, the goal in all of these approaches, whether it's medication, counseling, or behavioral interventions for skills, the goal is to create a sustainable environment where they want to do things and they want to be certain things. So that's why performative things have never been successful. I can get someone to do an action. That doesn't mean they want to do the action. As parents and mentors and coaches, our job is to create an environment where somebody wants to do good things and adult things and independence things and quality of life things, not to make them do those things. And oftentimes we try to fit our timeline onto their developmentally delayed timeline and that is as ridiculous as going to my 12-year-old and saying, buddy, it's time for you to drive. All the other 12-year-olds are driving. You need to drive. But dad, I, I don't think I can drive. I think I would hurt somebody. What if I can't even see over the steering wheel? There's all these issues. Why would you make me drive at age 12? And, and for me to go back and say, no, everyone else is driving. You have to drive at age 12 would be ridiculous. And so even my, my example sounds ridiculous. But asking someone who is developmentally at about a 12-year-old level, um, maybe physically, um, maybe emotionally, maybe in reaction time, you know, maybe with executive functioning, it's just not fair and they're not ready. So we look at where they're at, what they need, but not what we think they need. We look at what they want to need and what they're longing for. And we take our cues from that. And where they're at informs us of, of how to take the next step, push them a little bit to the next level, but we do it walking next to them with our, our hand behind their back instead of us standing behind them with a whip and pushing them off the cliff. If we can remember that mentoring relationships, belonging to become that connection before correction is real, if we can remember that developmental growth is the goal and then we utilize other tools to help us with that then those can be great resources thanks for joining me and i hope to talk to you another time and i hope this was helpful um, because i i want you to use these tools with the bigger picture in mind and go from there thanks and we'll talk to you later thanks for joining us on this episode of autism and neurodiversity with jason and debbie if you want to learn more about our work come visit us at jasondebbie.com. That's J-A-S-O-N-D-E-B-B-I-E.com. Mm -hmm.